Hey everybody, welcome back to Finance in a Flash. This week we have on Chip High Miller to go through mutual funds and ETFs and the tax efficiency. Really of ETFs, I mean, we'll talk about both, but I think efficiency should be coupled with ETFs. And let's let's really get, jump right into it, Chip. So, you know, ETFs, mutual funds are really the most common investment vehicles in the world, and ETFs more so are rising and rising and rising. I I'm interested to see where mutual funds go in the next 10, 15 years, and maybe we can discuss that later. But um, first off, I really wanted to uh, just compare the two on an on a overview uh, on a big scale of mutual funds versus ETFs, and then we'll kind of dive into the tax efficiency of ETFs and how, you know, capital gains and that, you know, those things can, can really hurt mutual funds and you owning them. So I guess to, to start out um, – Let's yeah. Let's get through mutual funds first. So, okay. uh, if you could, you know, give us a brief overview of what a mutual fund is, and then we'll kind of go through the characteristics of one. Yeah. So, um, mutual both mutual funds and exchange traded funds are uh, they have similar characteristics uh, in a lot of ways. You know, one of the biggest ways is you know you immediately get some sort of diversification whenever you buy. Uh, or invest in a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. So you know there's you know if you if you're investing in a, a mutual fund with an investment objective of growth, so let's say, then you're likely to find um, underlying inside the mutual fund you know dozens or even hundreds of individual stocks, right? And so with one purchase, one you don't have to go out and buy each individual stock. You're buying just one mutual fund that gives you instant diversification. And the same thing happens within an exchange-traded fund. You buy into the fund, and you immediately get diversification. Now, they're, they're both good and bad mutual funds, and they're good and bad exchange-traded funds. Neither yeah. one of these tools um, are perfect. And so uh, you, you really need to be aware of uh, the differences and the internal structure and that sort of thing before committing uh, dollars to either of these investments. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point that, you know, not one one mutual fund can be better than one ETF and vice versa, or one mutual fund can be better than the other mutual fund. It's, it's really a case-by-case um, basis, but, you know, today, like you mentioned, we're going to be looking at the overall um, differences between the two, and we're going to start out with, you know, the buy-sell of a mutual fund and how that can differ from an ETF. Um, you know, where you buy a mutual fund and the price is set at the end of the day, it's not really, you can't really trade it in and out throughout the day. Whereas an ETF, you can trade, I can buy it right now, buy it again, sell it again within the you know course of an hour. It really treats, it's really treated like a stock uh, upon exchanges. It really is. And, and so if you think about that, you know, just what happens logistically, right? So a mutual fund, um, the markets close, and then investors, uh, the mutual fund itself, looks at okay, what are my redemptions and um, buys for the day, and then uh, you, they allow those uh, redemptions and buys to happen. 
with an exchange traded fund that's kind of ongoing. Um, it, it's kind of settled in the open market. And, you know, whenever you buy an exchange traded fund, there's a seller on the other end of that trade. And, um, and that's kind of the way it happens. It happens intraday. Yep. And, and so moving forward, is there, uh, I guess, minimum investments is, is our, is our next topic. So is there a minimum investment, I guess, you know, it might depend, but on a mutual fund versus ETF or how does that? Yeah, I, I'll say that most of the time mutual funds have some sort of minimum investment, right? So, you know, and I've seen, and sometimes they're very low, you know, as low as a couple of hundred dollars. Um, exchange traded funds, there's no real minimum to invest. I guess the minimum is the share price of the mutual fund of the, the exchange traded fund rather, you know, but a lot of times now brokerage firms, I know Schwab and TD, uh, you can buy exchange traded funds or you know, even individual stocks and there's no commission. So there's no real um, minimum there. With mutual funds, there can be, you know, I, I've seen, um, you know, some mutual funds have super high minimums and others are, you know, a couple of hundred dollars. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, that's a good point. And I think maybe now I'm not sure that you can buy, you could buy some places fractional shares of ETFs or that is potentially an option in, in the future. Um, yeah, I think it will be, uh, you know, I think even now, you know, you can reinvest dividends and own fractional shares on exchange traded funds. Um, yeah. You just, I, I'm not aware right now of a company that you can buy fractional shares of an exchange traded fund. I think that's coming and uh, yeah, we'll I, stay tuned for that. I would definitely agree. And, and another key difference is, is the transparency of the internal holdings, mm -hmm. um, which I know as both of us are investment people that we, you know, look at consistently the internal holdings of ETFs and mutual funds, but how can these differ um, against each other? Yeah. So mutual funds are required to, on a quarterly basis to report, their whole internal holdings. Exchange traded funds report on a daily basis. And mm -hmm. so what we had seen in the past, and I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, is what happens with mutual funds is the manager on the day before a quarter end may do what we call window dressing. <laughs> and so that's a kind of a, a, yeah. a term to say, okay, well, if, if Amazon has done really well and you do not own any shares of Amazon, well, maybe you at least establish a position so that on your next report, people see that and say, oh, well, at least they owned Amazon. Um, but that's not a true reflection of what's going on with the mutual fund itself. It's, it's, it's window dressing. And so, and that's something that happens um, and we've seen happen over the years from time to time. Uh, and it's, it's just one of those interesting things that just, you see and it's an observation. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a great point. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to go to the next point because I, I kind of want to – this leads into that. But as far as internal cash positions go, mm. um, I know, let's say, ETFs, really there are no cash holdings are really needed. But why why in mutual funds is there usually a cash, cash position and why is it needed? Yeah, so – and this is one of those things that over the years, you know, if the market is – if let's say you're investing in an equity fund and there's a, if a mutual fund has a three or 4% stake in cash, you know, there's a cash drag on returns. And so even if you have a mutual fund that is, you know, is the objective is the S&P 500 index, but it has to maintain a three or 4% uh, 
cash balance, then there's the returns are going to be lower in a rising market, and that was a problem. But the reason that mutual funds have this uh, cash position is to co possibly cover any redemptions that happen uh, throughout the day. So the managers really don't like uh, going in and placing trades to cover redemptions. That's not an efficient way to manage uh, internally manage a portfolio. And so they keep a little bit of cash on hand just with the expectation that there's going to be um, withdrawals and possibly uh, deposits and withdrawals. Yeah, no, that's, and that's that, like you said, that's really, it's really tough sometimes, especially when, you know, mutual funds are comparing performance to ETFs or when you're doing that, you know, there could sometimes be a two, three, 4% cash holding on in mutual funds, which now is, has what, 0% return essentially. So, yeah, so I mean that, yeah. you know, an ETF could have that three or 4% allocated towards Amazon, which would have drastically changed the performance in the past, uh, in the past year, which is, I think something that obviously like that's an extreme, uh, scenario but i mean it, it is possible and it can create that drag on return that we have seen here in the last you know several months to a year yeah that's right and you know and and you know some managers if you're if you're have been investing long enough like like we have but it's it's uh, if you listen to conference calls that managers talk about this they'll say oh well we can't find any opportunities the market's gone uh the valuations are not uh, a very appealing right now, so we feel like we need to have some extra cash. But at the end of the day, you know that um, that's not necessarily uh, the full truth. They're they're uh, they really want to avoid liquidating positions um, to cover redemptions. And if we look at what's been happening in the industry, it's been massive redemptions of mutual funds going into exchange traded funds, and so that's kind of a uh, a, a movement right now and um, and I, I'm expecting that to continue and, and some of it's kind of what I think you're getting ready to hit on a little bit is the tax uh, side of things yeah and that's really why I want to spend a lot of time is the tax implications and tax cost of owning a mutual fund versus an ETF um, yeah and I, I guess let's go right in so in a mutual fund capital gains can be triggered by the fund manager as gains are realized uh, through sell transactions inside the fund which as an investor, there's nothing you can do to control that, which is unfortunate, right? I mean, you could buy a uh, buy a mutual fund right now, today, and then in a day or two, you get hit with a capital gains distribution, and there's really nothing that you could have done about it. Yeah, and it's one of those things that's so very frustrating um, to have to manage around. You know, if you... Uh, if you have a client and uh, let's say we're going to take a pretty sizable position in a mu individual mutual fund, you really have to be aware of when is the X date of that fund. When do you buy into that fund after capital gains distributions have happened? And so, you know, it's just one of those things that you have to be totally aware of because uh, you can have a situation where you buy into a 10 or 15 percent capital gain. Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, that. That would be tough when when you buy into something like that. And ETFs, there's not really that a capital gains distribution like there is on a mutual fund, is there? I mean, yeah, that's right. Like, so yeah, unless you sell, unless you sell the position, but that's you know that's kind of a different scenario. Yeah, that's right. I mean, ETFs are a little bit different. Uh, as you hear my doorbell 
go off here for <laughs> I guess we have some kind of delivery from Chewy. My, uh, <laughs> you got the, we've got, got the, the new, new dog. Puppy. So got the, uh, yeah, Chip's got a new puppy, and uh, again, the joys of working from working from home. Yeah, it's it's interrupted my uh, uh, train of thought, but hopefully this will we can look back at the on this. This is commercial break. This is commercial break. <laughs> right. So, you know, I would say that you're right. You just have to be aware of that. And because the last thing I want to do is let's say you buy take a hundred thousand dollar position in a mutual fund and the next day a ten thousand dollar capital gain distribution has happened. Well, my position didn't experience the gains, but we're getting fully taxed on those capital gain distributions. And that's just an inefficiency of a mutual fund that does not happen with an exchange-traded fund. You, you really don't buy into capital gains. You just buy the shares, and then the capital yeah. gains you control. So, you know, which I like because, let's say, if you um, hold the fund for 10 years and you have gains, well, you can um, selectively trigger those gains. You can, you can identify the... the uh, purchases that you bought and you can use select lot accounting and you can kind of control that and compensate for that on your tax estimates and that sort of thing. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a great point. And I mean, it's, it's really not fair. I mean, it's, again, it's really not fair in, in, in my head that you can buy a, buy a position in a mutual fund and then get hit with those capital gains. And now you have, and you didn't have the upside of the gains. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, that that's tough. And I mean, could we make a, you know, maybe you can correct me, but could we make a blanket statement or does it depend on the mutual fund or the ETF that ETFs are more tax efficient as a whole than mutual funds? Well, so maybe you have an example of why or why not. But I will say that, you know, keep in mind, again, is kind of what we alluded, alluded to in the beginning, that there are good exchange-traded funds and there are lousy exchange-traded funds. So yep. you just need to be aware of that and have your own set of due diligence. But I'll say that, you know... This is kind of the way our experience has, uh, we've seen this happen through the years. You know, you have a fund that is, let's say it's an actively managed fund. There's a great manager, an all-star manager um, that has done a great job. Uh, Obviously, they've done well, so the the fund itself has grown and gotten large. Uh, There's tons of embedded capital gains in the stocks that are underlying inside the mutual fund. Well, let's say the market performs poorly. Right, so you have a down year in the market. Well, now the mass exodus happens, and you get people just liquidating their positions, and the mutual fund manager having to sell stocks to satisfy these redemptions. Well, now as a long-term investor, you're kind of stuck holding the bag. You're going to get hit with a capital gain distribution, even though you still own the exact same number of shares that you owned before. And so yep. we've seen this happen time and time and time again. And it's one of those things that just, it drives us nuts. And I remember, gosh, this might've been 2011, I think, uh, you know, there are mutual funds that were distributing 20% plus of their net wow. asset value in capital gains distributions because they had, you know, redemptions. And so, you know, that, that was just uh, an extreme example, but it's happened a couple of times in my career, these cycles. And so, I, I, you know, as an uh, advisory firm that's so super tax sensitive and so aware yeah. of what's going on there, it just uh, became so cumbersome. 
and and honestly annoying and it's just not fair to to our clients or, or yeah. really to investors i didn't think and so you know we, we have uh, we, we we have some mutual funds for client uh, portfolios but uh, we really uh, have most of our client assets in um, in either super tax efficient mutual funds or exchange traded funds Yep, and, and now we're not saying that there are never going to be, you know, capital gains paid out in ETF because I think sometimes there are distributions, but they're not really. And what I've seen, and maybe you can speak on it as you've had more experience than I have, but they're not really these huge, you know, five, ten, even you know, four or five percent that we've seen in a mutual fund. Yeah, well, so far, but keep in mind that yeah, the, so that far. industry. That, the structure of ETFs are changing. So I'll tell you the way we use ETFs. And we we have a super diversified investment philosophy. I know we've talked about that a little bit um, in here. And so, you yeah. know, with, with the exchange-traded funds that we use, if we're using an index, let's say the Russell 2000 is a popular small-cap index. Well, let's say we use an ETF that replicates that. Well, there could be capital gains in situations where the index itself is reconstituted. In other, in other words, um, some stocks are booted from the index and some other stocks are added. And so that could generate a capital gain. It's going to be very tiny. It's going to be like, you know, uh, it's not going to be the 20% plus uh, that we talked about a, a second ago. It's going to be like 0.1%. You know, it's just mm-hmm. very uh, small. There are other exchange traded funds now that are coming online that are uh, what's called active trade active exchange traded funds actively yeah. managed and so i would expect those to have possibly a little bit more in the way of capital gains uh, but still i think it's going to be more tax efficient for the average investor by far than uh, the way mutual funds have been yeah and that and that's a good point i think you know etfs are you know are relatively new right i mean mutual funds really dominated everything in the past you know in the past years, now ETFs have, have kind of exploded and taken that taken that title. But I think we're still in the early days of ETFs, where we're going to see a lot of different management options introduced, and that's why it's super important to not just make a you know a super blanket statement of well you know ETFs are the only way to go. Like you said, there are good ETFs and bad ETFs, and that's why it's important to really monitor and to do your due diligence on the ETFs that you're investing in. And at the end of the day, Nick, these are tools. So mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, annuities, you know, CDs, stocks, whatever, these are all tools that we use to help get uh, people to where they uh, want to be uh, and from an investment standpoint to meet their investment objectives. And so as conditions change, as the industry itself changes, um, as legal things change that, that impact these tools, you know, we have to be in a position to give advice to people that's in their own best interest. And so, you know, we're simply uh, trying to adapt with the fact that, okay, um, there are some real advantages to exchange traded funds. There's, um, yep. you know, by and large, you know, not all, but the vast majority are very liquid. They are um, uh, just very, and they're very low cost, and so uh, they tend to be attractive. Now, there are pockets of bad ones, right? You know, we yeah. there are uh, super expensive. I, I saw one last week that had a 2% expense ratio, you know, which is, you know, that's a, to my mind, that's a bad uh, 
and high cost exchange traded fund. I would avoid that. So they're going to be good and bad. There's also things that you, uh, the average person doesn't understand. Like um, there's other things called exchange traded notes. And so people yeah. kind of use the term interchangeably with exchange traded funds, but they're just a, they're a different product. And those have a different set of risk. And, and, and we won't go into that on this podcast, but it's just something to be aware of that um, everything is not created equal. And um, just a reminder that you have to be kind of careful. Yeah. And again, um, and that's good. And as we're, you know, working to a close here, if you, uh, Chip wrote a, a great article that's on our website, beaconfinancialstrategies.com, that you can, um, if you want to listen and follow along, we're, you know, kind of go through that, that, um, that article. And, you know, we have a nice table that can really, you know, help you see the pros and cons of different characteristics of both, because this is, you know, an important topic and really a question that, we, I get a lot, you get a lot that's super, you know, it's a simple question, but at the same time, it, sometimes it can be hard to understand because, you know, well, what actually is the difference between the two? Um, and it can be hard to, you know, explain sometimes, but I think, you know, this podcast and hopefully the article uh, can do a good uh, good job of doing so. And, yeah. The, the one thing I'll point out, too, is there there is a trend uh, that we're seeing uh, happen now, and I don't know, you know, how fast this is going to happen but you know current mutual fund families are converting existing uh, open end mutual fund shares into exchange traded funds it's an ex- it's a conversion yep. and it's a tax free conversion and so we'll see what kind of traction happens in the industry with that but i my expectation is that we'll see that um, you know a little bit more i mean there's there's no real reason why this can't happen on a larger scale. I know only a couple of fund families have, have gone this route, but it's something that's an interesting trend to be aware of. Yep. I agree. I mean, that's, you know, it's, that hits close to home because that's, you know, happened to, you know, companies that, that we use as uh, for our investments that that's happened. And, and like you said, I think that this is just the beginning um, as to transactions and, and uh, moves like that that mutual funds are taking to, I don't want to say stay relevant, but potentially so. I mean, that's, you know, as my generation or the next generation goes up, a lot of people are like, why why would I ever purchase a mutual fund when I can just trade an ETF, boom, 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 and, and Robinhood just like that? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's it's kind of where the industry, I think, is, is going, and uh, I think mutual fund companies are, are realizing that as well. Absolutely. So are there any closing thoughts as we wrap up here? Again, if you want to kind of follow along to this podcast, you can beaconfinancialstrategies.com and go to our insights page where uh, we have an article on mutual funds and ETFs that um, if you're a visual learner, like me and Chip are sometimes, that, uh, that could help. Sure thing. Yep. It's, it's, been, awesome. uh, it's been a joy, Nick. Thank you for uh, hosting and uh, asking some good questions. Yep. Of course. Anyways, uh, everyone, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you guys in a couple of weeks. Oh, 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 oh,